Good morning. My name is Mitchell Slater. I am uh, one of the elders here, and uh, it is my, my joy and my privilege to serve as the senior pastor here at Clover Hill. Uh, we're a new church, as has already been said. Uh, Jeff pointed out this is just our second Sunday together as a church. And for the month of December, we want to just lay a solid foundation for the future of our life together as a church. And specifically, we want to preach through our mission as a church. Uh, Jeff also referenced that earlier. We call it our, our 3D mission, which is simply this, to declare, disciple, and demonstrate. Okay, we want to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to make disciples at home and around the world. And we want to demonstrate the Father's love in spirit and in truth. Now, this is a, it's a mission that we have gladly inherited from our sending church. River Oaks Community Church on the other side of town, and just praise God that we are two churches with one mission. I love it. So for the next three Sundays, we're just going to walk through those, those three different aspects of our mission as a church, declare, disciple, and demonstrate. And this is going to be really important because whether you've been a part of launching Clover Hill for the last year, year and a half, or whether you're, you're brutally is and recalibrated and refocused on what our mission actually is. Right? Why have we done this? Why have we planted this church? What are we inviting you to be a part of? Well, these three Ds show us exactly what our mission is and what our priorities should be. So this week, we'll look at the first D, declaring the gospel. Last week, we saw what the gospel was from 1 Corinthians 15. This week, we'll see from Luke chapter 24 what it looks like to declare that gospel. So go ahead and open your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. Earlier, our Advent reading was from the very beginning of Luke's gospel. This week, we'll be at the very end of Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 24. If you came from River Oaks, you know that they're about halfway into preaching through Luke's gospel. So if that's you, just consider this an early conclusion. (laughs) We're going to finish it before they do. But as you'll see, this passage is just so perfect at showing us what it means to, to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ as a church. Now, for context, Jesus has been crucified. He's been sacrificed for sin. He's risen from the dead, and now... This is still the first day of his resurrection, and we see this discussion that he has with his disciples, starting in verse 44. Then he said to them, that is, Jesus said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, 
and were continually in the temple blessing God. And this is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us this word for this day. I pray that just as Jesus did here, Lord, that through your Holy Spirit, you would open our minds to understand the scriptures. Show us Christ, just as Jesus showed these disciples that all the prophets and the law and the Psalms pointed to him. Open up our minds and our hearts to behold wonderful things in your word. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, the way I want to walk through this passage is we're going to just build a sentence together. We're going to build it out kind of piece by piece, clause by clause. Probably going to be too long by the end. That's okay. Start off with a simple phrase. We declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. We declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in verses 45 through 47, we just heard Jesus call his church, that is, call us, to declare the good news, the message of his death and resurrection, the, off, the offer of salvation and forgiveness, the call to repentance and faith. The risen Jesus has given us a mission of declaration. He sends us out to tell anyone and everyone about who he is and what he's done for them. Notice that Jesus, he describes the good news in the exact same way that the Apostle Paul described it last week. He says this is the message that Christ died for our sins and he rose from the dead. Right here he says, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And though we can be very familiar with this story of the death and resurrection of Jesus, we do need to step back sometimes and think, now wait a minute, why is this actually good news? Right? So you're telling me that 2,000 years ago, a Jewish carpenter turned wandering rabbi was nailed to a Roman cross, and three days later he walked out of the tomb, and you're saying that this is the greatest news that all the world needs to hear. Our answer is, yes, absolutely, 100%, yes. And this is good news precisely because this is the only solution to humanity's most deep problem. Now, we face a lot of problems in our lives, our problems with our finances or relationships or work or school or sickness or on and on, but there's only one problem. That's so deep and pervasive and destructive that we desperately need a solution for. The problem of our sin. D.A. Carson put it well when he said, If God had perceived that our greatest need was economic, he would have sent an economist. If he had perceived that our greatest need was entertainment, he would have sent us a comedian or an artist. If God had perceived that our greatest need was political stability, he would have sent us a politician. If he had perceived that our greatest need was health, he would have sent us a doctor. But he perceived that our greatest need involved our sin, our alienation from him, our profound rebellion, our death. So he sent us a savior. So if we can just summarize 
Our mission, as simply as possible, it's this. We declare really just just a one-word message, Jesus. It's not even what we declare, it's who we declare. We declare Christ. This is why Paul can say, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. 1 Corinthians 2.2. And he said, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. 2 Corinthians 4.5. And each one of us is called to declare this good news. There's a popular phrase, it's falsely attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. And it says this, you probably heard it at some point. Preach the gospel at all times. Can you finish it? And use words when necessary. Okay, now, I get the point that people are trying to make with that quote, right? We shouldn't just preach the gospel, but we should also back it up with the way we live, right? We, we can't preach the love of God and just be loveless, hateful people, right? That, that, that's, it doesn't make sense. So it's a decent point to make. We'll talk about that more in our third D. We want to also demonstrate the love of the Father. And yet, if you stop and think about that quote, it really doesn't make much sense. Because how do you share good news? With words. We have to share it with words. But it'd be strange if you turned on the TV and you turned over to the news and the news anchor said, we have breaking news tonight out of Washington, D.C. But I don't really need to use words. right? I'm just going to act it out. It It just doesn't fit, right? It doesn't make sense. Sharing the good news requires us sharing the words of the message of that good news. In verse 47, he says, Repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed. Jesus has called us to a mission of proclamation, a mission of declaration. He sends us out as as like town criers or or heralds of this good news. As we just sang, we have a Savior. We want to tell all the world. And so let's do that. But as we do that, what what words are we sharing? We have to think about that. Well, Jesus goes on, and we see that we declare the gospel of Jesus Christ from all the Scriptures. There's the content of our message. We declare the gospel from all the Scriptures. Now, Jesus made this point earlier in this chapter. He Again, the morning of his resurrection, he spent several hours walking down the road to Emmaus with two of his disciples. And look at the kind of conversation he has. Look at verse 25. He said to them, Jesus said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets... He interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Isn't that amazing? I I wish I could hear that conversation. I really want to. But then in our passage, he doubles down on the point with, with the rest of his disciples. Look at verse 44. He said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything... Everything written about me in the law of Moses 
and the prophets and the Psalms, which is a way of saying the entire Old Testament, must be fulfilled. Now, that's astounding. That is an astounding claim. Jesus is saying every single word written on every single page of this book is about Him. That's amazing. Now, I hope we see how radical of a claim that is. It's like if you turned on a presidential debate, there's a presidential candidate there, and he gets up in, in front of the nation, and he says, you know what, you should vote for me. You should vote for me because everything written in the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence and the Bill of Rights, it's all about me. We think that person's crazy, right? They're off the rocker. I'm definitely not voting for them. Well, what Jesus says is even more radical. But we can believe him. Because when did he say it? On the day of his resurrection. That vindicates everything Jesus said. All the scriptures had foretold he will rise from the dead, and he did. And we can trust him. And this means every passage that you'll ever read in the Bible is about Jesus. All of it. The, the Bible isn't just a, a random collection of disconnected stories. It's one big story about one great Savior. That's the message of the Bible. We need to understand that the entire, we need to understand the entire story of redemption if we're going to really fully appreciate who Jesus is and what he's done for us. We need to get the whole story. And it's as simple as this. You, you just can't jump into a story right in the middle or even in the last chapter and hope to ever understand what's going on. Right? It just doesn't work like that. Right? Now, this is the Christmas season, so everyone's kind of thinking about the birth of Jesus. But remember, that's not the beginning of the story. To, to truly grasp that story, you have to go back to the beginning. You have to go back to Genesis. You have to trace how all of the promises of God come to their fulfillment in the, this baby in a manger. The story started way earlier than that. You can't just skip to the end of a story and ever hope to understand it. So it's like this. Um, how many of you all are fans of the 90s show Boy Meets World? We have some fans? Okay. We got a few fans? Okay, okay. So I remember, I distinctly remember this. I was in middle school. <laughs> that story starts out great, right? Um, <laughs> But I was in middle school. I went over to a friend's house, and he said, okay, after dinner, we're all watching TV. This is the, the series finale of Boy Meets World. Okay, so you can go back and find whenever that aired, that was the date this was. I don't know when that was. But series finale, very last episode of the entire show. Okay, I've never seen it. I've never heard of it. So I sit down with them, and they're like laughing and crying because they have all these characters that they've been following for like years, and I just have no clue what's happening. I, I, like I am totally lost. But then I decided, okay, I'll watch the show. And so over time, I kind of started watching it. And then by the time I actually saw the series finale again, I had seen the show, like, okay, I get it, right? It all makes sense. I, I know these characters. I know these stories. I get it. 
if we don't know the whole story of the Bible, how much more so will we miss the point of the gospel? We'll miss it. We need to know the whole story. At the end of our service today, we're going to sing one of my just new favorite songs. It's called Christ the True and Better. It makes this point so well. You'll see in each verse, it says, Jesus is the true and better Adam. He's the true and better Isaac, the true and better Moses, the true and better David. And we could, that song could go on for a long time. They mercifully cut it off at four verses. It could go on. Jesus is the true and better everyone throughout the Bible. This whole book is about him. And this truth, it has such massive implications for our lives as Christians and for our lives together as a church. Massive implications. It impacts the way that we're going to preach on Sunday mornings. Now, during December, I'm kind of hopping around to different passages each Sunday. Last week was 1 Corinthians 15. We're in Luke 24 today. We'll be in Matthew 28 in the Great Commission next week. But our, our normal pattern for preaching will be expository. And all that means is we will preach verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through whole books of the Bible. Okay, so I'm really looking forward to January. Okay, at the start of the year, we're jumping into Colossians. It's going to be awesome. Eric's not here, but he, but he would be shouting if he heard me say that. But we want this to be just the normal pattern of our discipleship because this was Jesus' normal pattern of discipleship. Look at the beginning of verse 44. He says this, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. You see what he's getting at? This wasn't something new. This is what Jesus was doing as he lived with his 12 disciples for three years. He was just opening to them the Scriptures. So our ministry here will be an expository ministry. We want to just open the Scriptures and look for Jesus together. That's all we're going to do. And it's awesome. But this truth, it also impacts just our own personal Bible reading. Just the way that we approach the Scriptures. Whenever you open the Bible, there's one main question you should be asking. Where is Jesus? Holy Spirit, show me Jesus. We need to see Christ in our Bibles. Don't go to the Bible and look for yourself. Because you're not the main character. Jesus is. Look for him. So, for instance, when you read the story of David and Goliath in 1 Samuel 17, <clears throat> you shouldn't just be asking, <clears throat> how can I be like David? You should be asking, how is David pointing to Jesus? That's the right question. Because that story, it's not about how, how we can face the personal giants of our own life. It's just not what it's about. That story is about how Jesus, the ultimate promised son of David, how he defeated the ultimate enemies that we could never defeat. The giants of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Now, does it apply to us? Yes. 
Because in Christ, in His victory, we can have victory over sin. We can have boldness and courage to face a hostile world, but it's because Christ is our champion. He's defeated the enemies, and He shares that victory with us. Now, that is an exciting way to approach the Bible because it's true. So we declare the gospel of Jesus from all the scriptures, and we declare it to all the nations. We declare it to all the nations. Look again at verses 46 and 47. Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. This message that we've been given... It's intended to be declared to the entire world. Now, as we're going through these, these kind of three D's of our church's mission, declare, disciple, demonstrate, I also want to be highlighting a few of the core commitments that we have as a church. We talked about some of these uh, last week. We call them our Clover Hill commitments. Now, these are all both and statements, not either ors. Both ends, two glorious realities that we want to hold tightly together. So last week, we talked briefly about urgency and legacy. We talked about gospel doctrine and gospel culture. But here, we need to highlight another commitment, neighbors and nations. Neighbors and nations. That is, our mission to declare the gospel is both local and global. Notice how Jesus said that this message will be proclaimed to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. The goal is global. Declare this to all nations. But we also need to focus on where we live here and now locally. In their case, Jerusalem. In our case, East Tennessee. Again, this is a glorious both and. It's not an either or. Don't pit neighbors and nations against each other. But this is why, from the very beginning of our church, we want to support international missions. Okay, so we uh, support Ben and Becky Batchelor, who are missionaries in Brazil. Uh, they were part of our sending church at River Oaks. We love them. We're so excited to be able to support uh, their ministry. And by God's grace, we just want to keep sending and supporting missionaries who are bringing the gospel to all nations. And I would love it. If we could see some of you be sent out one day from this church for the sake of God's name among all the nations. It's glorious. At the same time, while some of us might be called to missions in other countries, many of us will be called to missions here. It's not whether you're called, it's where you're called. Many of us will be called to declare the gospel here, where we live. And we can have hope because one day the entire world, including East Tennessee, will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. And we get to play a part in that. We just want to add a little more water. So what would this look like for you? We talked about this last week, but not 
Not many will be called to stand up here behind a pulpit like this and preach a a sermon, but all of us are called to tell other people about Jesus. We're all called to that. So who has the Lord put in, in your sphere of influence that you could tell the good news to? Is there someone in your family or your neighborhood or your school, your workplace, your gym, your sports team, your child's sports team? I would encourage you to pray this week that the Lord would show you one person that you could have a conversation with about Jesus. Okay, start small. Just just one person and see what the Lord does with that one small act of faithfulness. The Lord loves to bless our obedience. And if you're here and you're not yet a Christian, you're not trusting Christ and treasuring Christ, these words are so important for you. Jesus said that Repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed. So that's what I proclaim to you right now. You can be forgiven. You can be redeemed. You can be accepted by God and brought into a right relationship with your maker. And you can know God. You can be given eternal life forever with Jesus and a transformed life here and now. So how can you get in on this? Two words, repent and believe. Repent and believe the good news. That is, look to Jesus in faith. Abandon any hope that you could ever possibly rescue yourself and cry out to Jesus for mercy. He can save you, even right now, even this morning. If you want to talk more about what it looks like, what it means to become a Christian, I'd love to talk with you. One of the elders would love to talk with you. Pretty much anyone in this room would love to talk with you. So we declare the gospel of Jesus Christ from all the scriptures to all the nations by the power of the Holy Spirit. By the power of the Holy Spirit. Look at how Jesus continues in verses 48 and 49. He says, you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So Jesus gives his disciples a mission. And then he tells them, don't even start until you have received the Holy Spirit. Why? Why does he tell them to go and do this? And then... Not go and do it. Wait, why does he do that? It's because we can't complete this mission on our own. You want to go declare the gospel to all nations in your own power? That's a fruitless endeavor. We need God's help. Desperately. But here's the encouraging thing. I mean, just just think about... What God, through His Holy Spirit, has already done to get this church plant of River Oaks, Clover Hill, right here to this moment. I mean, God's hand has so obviously, almost embarrassingly been been upon us. He's led us every moment of the way. But we have the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit. 
And this should be such an encouragement to you as you prepare to share the good news with others. Because we don't have to wait. Jesus told his disciples to wait because the Holy Spirit hadn't been given yet. But in just a few weeks after this moment, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes and we have that same Holy Spirit to empower us for the same mission. Now, just a moment ago, when I asked you to pray for the Lord to show you one person that you could talk to about Jesus this week, I'm going to guess that some of you probably felt immediate butterflies in your stomach. Like, oh, no, the preacher's telling me to talk to people about Jesus again. All right, here comes the guilt trip. I know that's how some of us are prone to think. Because it can feel very uncomfortable and nerve-wracking to go out and share the gospel. And again, you can get into kind of this, this downward spiral of a guilt trip because then you haven't shared the gospel. But here's the truth. Here is the glorious truth that can help you. You have the power of the Holy Spirit with you and in you at all times. You have the Holy Spirit with you and in you every moment of every day if you're in Christ. This isn't just for special, super spiritual Christians who have the Holy Spirit, right? whatever that would even mean. No, this gift of the Holy Spirit is for every Christian, especially the most weak and fearful Christian. If you're here, your faith is in Christ, this is true about you. Whether you realize it or not, whether you feel it or not, this is a gospel reality that's true for you. And even think about the way Jesus describes it. You have received the promise of the Father. You have been clothed with power from on high by the Holy Spirit. So even when you're weak, even when it doesn't even feel like that's true, Christ loves to put His power on display through you by His Holy Spirit. What does that power of the Holy Spirit look like? Well, for one thing, it looks like verse 45. Jesus did this for His disciples. He opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. He opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. And that looks just like the testimony of those two men that we read about earlier on the road to Emmaus. Look back at verses 31 and 32. After their experience with Jesus, they, they ran back to the apostles. It says, and their eyes were opened. And they recognized Him, and He vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures. <clears throat> That's amazing. I mean, even just think about this. How did any of us ever become believers? How did we become followers of Jesus? Why are we even Christians in the first place? It's because of this. He opened our minds to understand the scriptures. That's why. He, he opened up our, our hearts to receive the truth of this book. And as He opened their minds, and as He opens our minds to the Scriptures, our hearts burn within us. 
That happens even today by the power of the Holy Spirit. So guess what? It's not your job to convince anyone to become a Christian. It's not your job to change someone's heart. It's not your job to open up their minds to understand the Scriptures. You can't do that. But Jesus can and Jesus will. So declare the gospel boldly. Share the truth. Tell the gospel story. Knowing that the Spirit can use the words that you speak to bring life to the dead. And you can see the miracle of salvation come into another person's life. And notice. Notice that in the final verse here. It says... The disciples were continually in the temple. Now the temple, remember, it was the place where Jesus was just sentenced to death by the religious leaders. The temple is the place of absolute human hostility against the gospel. And they're there continually. Now how? They were just hiding away. While Jesus was crucified, they were abandoning him. And now they have the boldness to go into the temple and risk their lives to declare the gospel. How can they do that? By the power of the Holy Spirit. So if you have a friend or family member who seems so hardened against the gospel, what do you do? You keep Declaring the good news to them. If you have a child who's grown up and has walked away from the faith, keep declaring Jesus to them. The Spirit can give them a new heart. If you're a teenager and going to school feels like walking into a battlefield where your beliefs come under attack, keep declaring the gospel. The Spirit can use you to spread His glory and open up minds to understand the Scriptures. So let's complete our sentence this morning. We declare the gospel of Jesus Christ from all the Scriptures to all the nations by the power of the Holy Spirit for the glory of Jesus. For the glory of Jesus. Look at how this passage, and really this whole book concludes in verses 50 through 53. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them, and while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven, and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Christ has finished his work of redemption. He's risen from the dead. Now he's ascended into heaven. He's taken his place on the throne of the universe. He has commissioned his people to declare his gospel. And what is the church's response? Worship. They blessed him. They worshiped him. They were filled with great joy. And this is the ultimate goal of our mission. Declaring the gospel isn't an end in and of itself. We declare the gospel so that the Lord Jesus would be praised and receive the glory that he deserves. One day, church planning is going to pass away. It'll be gone. 
Preaching will come to an end. There'll be no more need to send missionaries. But in eternity, one thing will remain. We will worship the Lamb together around His throne. So yes, we want lost sinners to be saved by Jesus. But we want that to happen so that they would become worshipers who give glory to Jesus. That's the goal. This is why we were created. God designed each one of us to find our deepest satisfaction and our highest joy in bringing Him glory. Now, in light of this, another one of our Clover Hill commitments is theology and doxology. Okay, now, all that means, those are big words, I know, theology, the truth about God, should fuel our doxology, the worship of God. Jesus, He opened up the theology of the Old Testament and showed it's all about Him. And they responded by praising Him with great joy. Steve Lawson put it well when he said, high theology produces high doxology. The higher our view of God, the higher our praise will rise to Him. The truth of God is the fuel that we throw on the fire of our worship. Our doctrine should always lead to our delight. And we declare the gospel of Jesus Christ so that Jesus will be praised. So we declare the gospel of Jesus from all the scriptures to all the nations by the power of the Holy Spirit for the glory of Jesus. As you move now to the Lord's Supper, even this act declares the gospel. As we'll hear in just a few moments, Paul said, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, Sinclair Ferguson has a fascinating uh, thought on this verse. He says this, I think Paul is saying that the Lord's Supper is the sermon. When we understand the biblical teaching on the supper, we realize that it's actually a visible dramatization of the message of the gospel. <coughs> the supper itself is a gospel proclamation. The broken bread portrays Christ's body sacrificed on the cross for us. The poured out wine portrays his blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins. And so a miniature drama is being enacted at the table. So before we come to this table of grace, let's take a few moments of silence together. This is a time where we can respond in faith and obedience to the preached word. A time where we can confess our sins to God and confess to one another. If there's a rift in a relationship. This is a time to reflect on the glorious gospel of grace which has saved us and which we will declare together in this Lord's Supper. So we pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Jesus, that you have opened up our minds to understand the scriptures. Lead us now to see your gospel portrayed in the bread and the cup. Help us to remember you and fellowship with you and worship you as we reflect on the gospel. So lead us now by your spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.